the preview of our closing song right there. Um, children, may be dismissed to junior church at this time. And we're going to be going to Philippians here in just a moment. We're going to be going to Philippians here in just a moment. If you want to turn there in your Bibles and kind of get ahead of it, you'll be in, we'll be in Philippians. And as we start the Philippians, and uh, Ken, if you could put up that slideshow, which I'll take over once it's up. We start Philippians. I want to read from Philippians 2 right now. Philippians 2 right now. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count on others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing, no thing from selfish ambition, selfish pride, ego, uh, but instead in humility, consider others, count on others as more significant in this translation than yourselves. The old NIV says, count on others as better than yourselves, but that's not totally accurate because somebody might literally be better at a certain job than I am. I shouldn't consider uh, or I might be better than them at something. That doesn't mean I should, you know, change that. This is about our thinking. This is about our thinking, our mindset. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Actually, verse four. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others too. So it starts with our thinking, count on others as more significant than ourselves. And then... Look out for others' needs before your own. And then, Jesus' example, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, this is about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he, didn't, but he, emptied, he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why do you say that, even death on a cross? Because that's the most shameful way to die. Therefore, he didn't stay dead, did he? In verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is a Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a beautiful passage. What an amazing passage about Jesus. He humbled himself and God exalted him. Why did he do that? He did it for us. He did it for you and me. He did it for everyone that, everyone that, everyone that ever lived. Though we could make the case he did it for the Father as well. Why do we read that passage? It's not the passage we're going to preach on today. It's one of my favorite passages, though. It's one of my favorite prayer passages, uh, though. I mean, we could just go on. After that, he says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Whoa, that's hard. All things. And then he says, and then you will shine like light. You can't shine like light when you're grumbling and complaining. Why would I read it? Because we're getting into Philippians today. It was debating and thinking and struggling over 
uh, another sermon series, and I like to preach in an expository way through books of the Bible. It keeps me from nitpicking topics. In other words, one of you could complain to me in the middle of the week. It never happens at Bethel, but it could happen at some point. And I could think, I want to preach on complaining this Sunday because somebody was complaining. No, but when you're preaching through books of the Bible, you deal with complaining when the Bible deals with complaining. Plus, I think it is the most biblical way to preach based off 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, as well as Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament and in the way even the Jewish people did it in the first century. We can track tradition that way is to preach through books of the Bible and deal with those topics as the scriptures deal with those topics. At least that ought to be the norm. And so I was really thinking and I outlined a whole sermon series on the book of Acts. It would take about 20 or 30 years until I retire, but we would get through the book of Acts in, in 30 years. And uh, don't take me too seriously. I'm joking there. And we'd get through the book of Acts in, in a couple years, actually, with a few breaks for Christmas and Easter. And I want to come to Acts because Acts is all about the spread of the gospel. Acts is all about the spread of the gospel in a Greco-Roman world that was very secular, very pagan, not open to the Christian worldview or even the Jewish worldview. And Acts is all about the spread of the gospel. It's the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opening doors as Philip preaches the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch and as others preach it. It's just awesome. And Philippians includes the spread of the gospel, but Philippians is doctrine in street clothes. It's an epistle of joy. So we're going to walk through Philippians. And we see in Philippians passages about prayer and passages about Jesus and all these types of things, which are really, really awesome. And as I think about those, I think of a little boy who wanted a bicycle very badly. But he didn't know how to pray for one. He didn't know how to pray for a bicycle. He tried to imitate how his parents prayed by saying, Lord, if it be thy will, please grant your servant a bike. In Jesus' name, amen. Two days later, there was no bike. Overhearing a prosperity preacher on TV, he prayed, Father, in the name of Jesus, I command you to get me this bike. I claim a blue one with studded tires and racing stripes. In Jesus' name, I claim it. Amen. Two days later, still no bike. Well, his dad was watching The Godfather. Never seen that movie. But his dad was watching The Godfather at the time. So the boy grabbed the little statue of Mary from the father's nativity set, got down on his knees and said, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> That's not how we pray, Right? It's obviously the boy, it's obvious the boy had some very misinformed views of Jesus, right? And, there, and some very misinformed views on, of prayer. But it's not just children in our society who are confused about who Jesus is, or is it? it? It's not just children, it's all of us. That's why we have to go back to the scriptures, and we can look at passages like John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was all reason and all ability. It's about Jesus. The Word was Jesus. The Word took on flesh and became one of us. And that's why we go to Philippians 2 that I read a moment ago. Jesus, exalted, the right hand of the Father. So we're going to get into Philippians. We'll learn more about Jesus 
We'll learn more about prayer. We'll learn more about encouragement. We'll learn more about sacrifice. We will learn more about our relationship with Jesus and so much more. I don't know about you, but I have keys in my pocket. Any of you have keys in your pocket? And you have different keys that go to different things. And I remember when I first came to Bethel Friends, they gave me all these keys and I've added a few since then. And it took a while to differentiate between certain keys, the key to the main office versus the key to my office. The, you have keys that can look alike, right? Certain keys look alike and you don't know which is which except trying them out. And, and why do they look the same? Because, you know, it's the type of key they're made and things like that. But why are they different? Because they're made from a different master key, right? All the keys are cut from a master key. They're all cut from a master key. And um, they won't open the same door because they have each been uniquely crafted from a different master key. Each has been uniquely crafted for a special place. In our context, God is the master key. He opens everything. But he has uniquely crafted every believer for a specific place in which he wants you to make a difference, right? God is a master key, but he has uniquely crafted you and me and every believer. Just like a key is uniquely crafted, he's uniquely crafted all of us to make a difference in different places and in the lives of others as recipient, as a recipient of the manifold grace of God. But God is the master. We always got to go back to Jesus. We're going to see a lot about Jesus in this short letter of Philippians. And we, as we look at this, you know, my theme today is, um, is grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is an introduction. Today I'm just going to introduce a series. And, but the, the, the theme of these first few verses is grace and peace. Paul begins this letter to the church at Philippi with grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to get into that. And I have an application. And this application comes right from Philippians 1, 1 and 2 and the whole letter of Philippians. As a church, let's serve the Lord in unity. As a church, let's serve the Lord in unity. The other thing is, there's always sermon inserts in the bulletin, and if you're following the insert instead of the full manuscript, or maybe you're following both, uh, I put on, the, on this short PowerPoint slideshow, the blanks that are on the insert are in bold and underlined. So I've given you the answers. You're welcome. So let's begin with introducing Philippians. Let's introduce it. You know, one source says that Philippians is theology in street clothes. And I really, really like that. Theology and street clothes. You know, there's theology in Ephesians, certainly in Romans and Galatians. But Philippians is a little different. Theology and street clothes. I, I, I love that. And whenever you get into a book of the Bible and you're studying a book of the Bible or a letter of the Bible, we always have to think about who wrote this book. Certainly God wrote them. God wrote them all. The whole Bible is inspired. That's, that's the problem with red letter Bibles. You read a red letter Bible and you think the red letters are more important. Well, if the whole Bible is inspired, it all comes from God. It's all God breathed. Whether you're in Genesis chapter 3 or, or John chapter 3, the whole Bible is inspired by God. But we want to know who wrote this book. What was the occasion? Why did they write it? When did they write it? Because when you think about that, it helps you understand the scriptures. It helps you apply the scriptures. When we learn the apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison, 
It helps us apply the scriptures. It helps us think differently. When you realize that the church at Philippi had faced persecution, they themselves had faced persecution. Helps helps us understand what did Paul mean, Philippians 4.13, when he said, I can do all through the Lord, through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all through Christ who strengthens me. I can live the Christian life as a witness in jail through Christ who strengthens me. So you want to think about the background. Well, the Apostle Paul is identified as the author. And when was the letter written? Paul clearly writes Philippians from prison. But he doesn't say where. And we have to go and do a little more background gymnastics to that. And I'm going to give you a little bit of extra information because we're introducing this letter. The date of the letter is dependent on where he wrote this from. The book of Acts in the New Testament speaks only of his two-year detention in Caesarea Maritime in Palestine between the years of 58 to 60 AD. Now, why do those years matter? Well, they matter because we can trace these back to historical fact, which is very, very important. Our New Testament, these letters are historical fact. They are reality. They're not fiction. They're not myth. They're not made up. And we can trace them back to Jewish historians of the first century and other sources. And we know these are historical. This is historical record. Why else does it matter? It matters that all this happened very soon after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This isn't hundreds of years after Jesus's, Jesus died and rose again. It's 25, 26 years. So Paul was in prison in 58 to 60 AD, followed by another two-year stint in house arrest in Rome awaiting trial in 60 to 62 AD. He was in prison on another occasion prior to 58 AD, but where we are unsure. Evidence leads towards Paul's Roman imprisonment, making this one of his last letters. The evidence shows that Paul is writing from a Roman imprisonment, making this one of his last, one of his final letters. And why does that matter? Because it helps us understand the heart, the compassion, the mercy, the grace, the love, the joy with which he writes. Paul's triumphant declaration that his imprisonment is for the sake of Christ has become known to the whole praetorium in Philippians 1.13. And his word of greetings for converts within Caesar's household in Philippians 4.22 are most natural and most impressive in Roman settings. Isn't that interesting? Later on, he references being in prison. And he references, hey, don't worry about me. I've been a witness. I've been in prison, but guess what? I am chained to these Roman guards all day long, and I can talk about God with them. I can talk about Jesus with these Roman guards. They can't go anywhere. I'm shackled to them. And so talk about making the best of all occasions. There's the apostle Paul saying, I'm going to witness to him. I'm here. I'm going to witness to them. And he does. Paul planted the church at Philippi during his second missionary journey around A.D. 50 in response to a Macedonian vision. Hey, there's another interesting thing. In Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 10, the apostle Paul wanted to go somewhere else and preach the gospel. He wanted to keep going a certain direction. And God gave him a vision, a Macedonian vision. The Holy Spirit laid it on his heart and said, hey, come over here. And what did he do? He obeyed the Lord. So he starts a church in Philippi. And it ended up being the first church in Europe. We see that in Acts chapter 16. One source adds, the text of this letter from Paul suggests several characteristics of the church at Philippi. First, Gentiles predominated. 
Gentiles predominated the church at Philippi. It was, uh, you know, during the first century, most of the gospel was spreading to Jews. In most places, like, for example, the book of Revelation, it was mostly written to a Jewish audience, but not Philippi. This was mostly non-Jews, Gentiles, which is really important. Few Jews lived in Philippi, and apparently the church had just a few. Second, in Philippi, we see that women had a significant role. We see that in Philippians 4. We see that in Acts 16. Now, why am I bringing up the book of Acts? Because in the book of Acts, Paul was traveling around with the gospel, and he went through Philippi. So when you're studying Philippians, it's important also to look at Acts chapter 16 and and see Paul at Philippi in the book of Acts and then writing this letter to Philippians later on. Third, we see in Philippi, the church was generous. The church was very generous. They remained deeply loyal to Paul, and they gave money to the ministry that Paul was working on. The church at Philippi had a special significance for Paul, since it was the first church he founded in Europe, and the first convert was Lydia. She was a seller of purple goods, and women continued to have a prominent role in the Philippian church. Paul and Silas were in prison there. Get this, and we see this in the book of Acts as well. Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi, and what they do when they were in prison? They sang hymns. They sang hymns. Can you imagine that? They're in prison for the gospel, and they are singing hymns. And guess what else happens? The Holy Spirit causes an event to happen, a great earthquake. The prison doors open, and they didn't leave. The guard was about to kill himself because if he lost these prisoners, he was going to be dead in the morning. But Paul and Silas said, hey, don't worry. We are still here. They talked about the gospel with the prison guard. The prison guard takes them to his house. They wash his wounds. The prison guard is saved and his whole family with him and baptized right away, by the way. The Holy Spirit was working in awesome, amazing ways in the Philippian church at that point. I want to give a little bit of background just for a minute of Philippi, of this little, this little city, this little area where Paul was writing to. Philip II of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, took over the agricultural settlement called Crenides in that point. And it was in 356 BC. And he renamed it Philippi at that point. Macedonia came under Roman control in 168 BC. But Philippi, as Paul knew it, really took shape during the civil wars that rocked the Roman Republic during the second half of the first century BC. The final battle between Caesar's armies, which was led by Mark Antony and Octavian, later he was renamed Emperor Augustus, and the armies of the assassins of Julius Caesar's, Brutus and Cassius, took place near Philippi, Philippi in 42 BC. So about 42 years before Jesus, there was a major battle in this region. A major battle in this region. So imagine if we lived in an area right now in Poland, Ohio, or wherever you live, North Lima, New Middletown, Boardman, wherever, and, and you lived in this area, and we could talk about how 40, 60, 80 years ago, there was a major battle, and actually the whole city would, would have fled. That's what's going on in this city he's writing to. That's their background. Antony and Octavian rewarded the veterans with settlements in Philippi and generous grants of farmland in the area of that city. After the alliance between Antonia, I'm sorry, after the alliance between Antony and Octavian broke down, the second civil war was effectively ended with Antony, 
Antony's defeat near Actium in 31 BC. Octavian settled many of Antony's soldiers in Philippi since they had forfeited their claims to land in Italy. So they forfeited their claims to land in Italy. They didn't have those anymore. So they were later able to settle in Philippi. So these are veterans mostly and the families of veterans. Philippi was refounded as a colony of Rome and named after Augustus's daughter, Colonia Ulia Augusta Philippensis, whose citizens enjoyed Roman citizenship. Roman citizen, to be a Roman citizen was a huge deal back then. A Roman citizen could not be crucified. That might be why they didn't crucify Paul. Paul later would appeal to Roman citizenship later on in the book of Acts. It was a big deal to be a citizen, as it should be today in America. And this made Philippi under Roman law. The citizens in Acts chapter 16, verse 21 in Philippi saw themselves as Romans first. Philippi was not a major city. Philippi had several temples, though, and they did have the cultic practices of Rome. They did worship the different, the different Greek gods. They, they worshiped the emperor as well. They worshiped Zeus and Apollo and Dionysus and Artemis. They worshiped them. It was a very pagan, very secular city, but the Christian community grew. And it seems most likely that Paul the Apostle was writing to the church at Philippi from Rome, from prison, around AD 62. That's about four or five years before he would be beheaded for the gospel. And now we need to get to the theme. So that's some background to the church. The theme, what, whenever you read a New Testament letter, or an Old Testament letter, you have to wonder, what is the theme? What's the purpose of this letter? Why is the Apostle Paul writing to this church? Why is he doing that? Instead of lamenting his imprisonment, the theme, the chief theme of Philippians is encouragement. Paul wants to encourage the Philippians to live out their lives as, as citizens of a heavenly colony as evidenced by a growing commitment to service to God and to one another. And if you've read Philippians, you know that that's what it's about. He's encouraging them. It's called an epistle of joy. Chuck Swindoll wrote a, wrote a book about the, about the letter of Philippians. He called it Laugh Again because there's so much joy in this New Testament letter of Philippians. He's encouraging them, but he's encouraging them when they've gone through persecution. He's encouraging them even though he's in jail. Or maybe because he's even in jail. The way of life that Paul encourages was manifested uniquely in Jesus Christ. It was also evident in the lives of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And we see in the letter of Philippians, we see examples. The example of Jesus in the Christ hymn that I read at the beginning of the sermon. We see the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus who who, who gave of themselves to serve the church at Philippi. Interesting. Many of Paul's letters can be divided into theological units. A lot of the Apostle Paul's letters, the first three chapters or the first part is all theology. Ephesians, if you read Ephesians, Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 is all theology. And then if you read Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6, it's all application. Because of this great doctrine, because of this theology, this is how you live. Romans, Romans chapters 1 through 11, all theology, all doctrine. Romans chapters 12 through 16. Because of this great theology, make your bodies living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, which is your reasonable service of worship. Don't be conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because of this great theology, this is how you live. Not Philippians. We can't divide Philippians that way. Philippians is different. 
In Philippians, he intermingles his theology all throughout. It's got theology, it's got doctrine, but it's intermingled throughout the letter. So in the first few verses, he talks about grace and peace. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Paul begins by saying who the letter is from, right? I mean, if you write a letter, if you write an email or a real letter, oftentimes you might begin by writing who it's from. In the Greco-Roman world did have letter writing guides as well. They had a certain style they would follow. And the apostle Paul follows that style. He starts by saying, this is from Paul. And this is from Timothy. Now, we always want to ask, why, why is Timothy mentioned? Why is Timothy mentioned? We'll come to that in a minute. Because it doesn't seem that Timothy was really writing it. But it's possible that Timothy was the scribe for the Apostle Paul. We know the Apostle Paul had poor eyesight. We also know that it was common back then that you would have somebody write for you. We could abbreviate called a scribe. The real word is amanuensis. It was a scribe. It's possible Timothy was writing for the Apostle Paul. It's also possible the church at Philippi knew Timothy. And so when Paul references that Timothy's with them, that was meaningful to them. That was important to them. It gave credibility. It's also possible that, that Timothy was kind of, you know, the Apostle Paul is saying, this is what the Lord is telling me to write. And Timothy's saying, yeah, that sounds good, you know, giving endorsement to it. You know, interestingly enough, Paul mentioned Timothy in the salutations of six of his letters. Second Corinthians, Colossians, Philippians, First and Second Thessalonians, Philemon. And he also wrote two letters specifically to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. Notice how Paul says this though. Paul and Timothy, what does he say? Servants of Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, apostles, listen to me, listen up, I'm giving you some commands. He could have, he claimed his apostleship in Philemon about things about that. He claimed it in, in Colossians, he claimed it in First Corinthians, I mean Galatians, he claimed it in First Corinthians chapter 9. He could have, but he didn't do that. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. In a literal translation, it would say bond slaves. He is a willing, indentured servant of Christ. Do we think of ourselves that way? Servants of Christ Jesus. I'm not going to pull rank. No, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. Do we think of ourselves that way like he is doing right here? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Isn't that interesting? He just addresses them. It's a friendly letter. It's a very friendly letter. And notice how he says we are servants of Christ Jesus. Christ means the Messiah, which means anointed one. He's servants, they are servants of the most high Messiah, the most high anointed one. They are servants of King Jesus. And Jesus means the Lord saves. They are servants of the Savior. And the Greek is more literally slaves or bond servants, as I already mentioned a moment ago. And, and it's like being an indentured servant. They're indentured servants. The letter is to all the saints. By the way, a little note about that. The letter is to all the saints. If you are here and you are a believer in Christ, you are a saint. 
We don't often greet each other that way, but we could. You know, St. George Ann, St. Art, St. Vicky. You know, if you are a believer in Christ, you are a saint. We are all saints. Saint means holy ones. When we become a Christian, we are declared righteous. We are sanctified. That means set apart for a purpose. And in God's eyes, we are holy. Now, why are we holy? Because Jesus took our sins on the cross. And Jesus gave us his holiness. They call it the great exchange. Jesus took our sins and he gave us his holiness. He gave us his purity. He gave us his righteousness. Now look what it says. Service of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Overseers would be like elders, And deacons would mean servants. So he's referencing the church structure right there. And that's really important because this is very early on and we see the church had a structure. The church had an authority structure. The church had um, an organizational structure. And he's referencing them. And then if you look at verse two, which actually I do not have on the screen, in verse two he says, grace and peace. He says, grace and peace. You know that... All of Paul's letters, all all 13 of Paul's letters, with no exception, he begins his letters with grace and peace. All 13 of his letters, he begins them the same way. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of his letters, he begins that way. In all of his letters, guess what? He ends referencing grace and peace once again. It is like he is saying, without exception, It is grace to you in the beginning and grace with you in the end. As you begin to read the letter, God will mediate grace. And as you end the letter, grace will be with you, strengthening you as you leave. And the grace and peace is from God our Father. And if you do a study, you will see that word grace and Father. Grace and Father are connected in every single letter of the Apostle Paul. In his mind, to be a child of God is to be in a state of grace that is, that is just inexpressibly great. Do you ever realize that? If you're here and you're a believer in Christ, which I think most or maybe all of you are, it, is, it means you're in an amazing state of grace. You're in an amazing place of grace between you and God Almighty. This is amazing. We are all a family with God as our Father. With God as our Father, grace is coming to us all the time. You know, in the Old Testament, God is considered the father of Israel, but almost never, ever do you see individuals talking of God as my father. Sometimes, but not regularly. But that is the reality of being a saint, a child of God. You are a saint, a child of God, and you can talk about God as your father. You're in that type of familial relationship with God Almighty. You have that type of relationship Father to daughter, father to son, with God Almighty. John MacArthur shares, it is said that when the Bible translators were seeking a word or phrase for peace in the language of the Chal Indians of South Mexico, they discovered that the words for a quiet heart gave just the meaning they were looking for. And that is an appropriate parallel because peace guards the soul against anxiety and strife granting solace and harmony. We can have a quiet heart extended from God our Father, the grace and peace from God our Father. I'll make some applications and some review right now. Paul and Timothy are servants of Christ Jesus. Do we think of ourselves as servants of Christ Jesus? 
We must strive to consider ourselves as servants. We must strive to serve however we can. Paul lists himself, not using the apostle title, but equally with Timothy as a servant. We must consider ourselves equal servants of Christ Jesus. We must not try to bring up rank, but be a servant. I read that passage in Philippians 2, 3 and 4. Consider others more important than yourselves. Do we have that type of attitude? We must think of how we can serve one another. Maybe God is calling us to be more of a servant. Maybe God is calling us to think about how to sacrifice more for the kingdom. Paul lists the saints alongside the leadership. We must consider the church holistically. We are all saints. We are all holy ones, which is exactly what that means. And we must extend grace and peace from the Lord. We must extend grace and peace from the Lord. We are all networked together as a family of God. And Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi, networking them together as a family of God, guided by the Holy Spirit. Do you ever have it when, you know, your computers are on a network, maybe at work or maybe at home, networked? And maybe if they're not networked together, they're networked with the internet and the cloud. And sometimes there's a a problem, right? And, And maybe you've seen this at work or even at home or your business, and they're not connecting to the network. You can't get the information needed. It's just not working. And we see those problems, and they cause distractions and problems and frustration, don't they? As Christians, we are all networked together by the Holy Spirit. We are all connected together by the Holy Spirit. We are all saints networked together by the Holy Spirit. We are all connected to God Almighty as a family of God called the Bride of Christ. And Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi, encouraging them of that, sending them grace and peace from prison in Rome, and giving us these marvelous words inspired by the Lord Almighty. I pray that you will be encouraged by them as we study the New Testament letter of Philippians. And one other little application. If you haven't read the letter of Philippians lately, please read it. I think you'll be encouraged. Read it as we study it. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I just pray your blessings and care as we close up this message. And I pray, Lord God, that we can learn. We can learn this example from the Apostle Paul to be servants. And we can think this week, how can we be servants? How can we, how can we better represent King Jesus as servants, as self-sacrificial servants? And not just in our actions, but in our mindsets. Focusing on unity, not disunity. Unity, not tribalism. Unity. Focusing on being an encourager. Focusing on extending your grace and peace to others. Lord God, I pray the Holy Spirit would reign supreme in our lives this week. And for those here who, they need this encouragement, may they be encouraged. They are a child of God. They have a restored, awesome relationship with God Almighty. And they are a saint. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. During the closing song, as always, the altars are open and we invite you forward. If there's anything God has just laid on your heart or anything just troubling you and bothering you, I invite you to come forward. We'd be glad to pray with you. It's all sad to sing a very familiar old hymn.